0: Hi, I'm Liz. And I'm Marie. And this is Mockit, a podcast from MetroStar, where we take a deep dive look into design thinking, trending UX topics, and making our work transform the government. Let's get started. So for today's topic, uh, we're going to be talking about your impact on UX. Right now, the small details that impact inclusive design.
1: Yes. So working in government, right, we're starting to learn more about how Um, those executive orders can really, how we can take them and make impact into our lives. Um, I Don't know about for anyone else, sometimes I feel like government is out of reach, they don't have an impact, but um, learning from our other colleagues and stuff um, with that new executive order about um, inclusive design and how can we frame that to bring that into every day that's not also, you know, the tangible products being inclusive in their usability, Um, Because, right, we actually, we want everything to be usable. But yeah, how do you, like, how do you conceptually bring UX, design, strategy, planning, just even ideation to be more inclusive in designing products?
0: Yeah, and I think uh, one of the things that's interesting is it doesn't, you don't have to be a quote-unquote user experience person or Mm. a designer or a researcher to make an impact on user experience or inclusive design. It's for everyone, um, no matter what your role is, whether you're a a project manager or you're the intern, everyone plays a role in this. And I think just as um, Marie was alluding to with these executive orders, we're really seeing how like, the top of our government, the president's like, this is something that is going to be a focus of my administration. Like, We are going to be inclusive Mm -hmm. of a wide breadth of, of identities
1: yeah and I think like you're saying it doesn't matter who you are what your schooling is right listen I have the titles as UX strategists but just because we're the UX strategist doesn't mean that it's only our ideas that are the quote-unquote good ideas or the ideas that go forth um, really like it could be our PM right he brings a unique perspective he has a different viewpoint of the problems that we're solving or even opportunities that, you know, you know, just a light bulb just sparks that we shouldn't be afraid of quote unquote outsiders, right? Someone else have a great idea and I don't need to like, I don't know, capture that in a way that's like, Oh, that idea stinks. Like listen only to me, but it's right, Oh, that's a really good idea. Like let's dive further into this through our UX, um, like our different exercises that we can use for either planning or, right? Liz and I just found um, UX Roadmaps off of the NNG group, and that's actually gonna help us on another project to help facilitate those ideas coming and how we get those planned and executed. And, you know, that's where we're supporting our team and colleagues outside of us is sharing and growing UX skills and practices I do not have a design background that
0: is my weakest skill in the UX field and I and I'm also talking to an expert designer right next to me like and I know that but I think sometimes as people who are not designers or quote you know people like to say make it pretty if you're not like able to do that or like have that mindset there are so many ways that you can contribute outside of that mindset if you just like step back and you just like This person is also a person. How can I help them? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be I need to, you know, design this gorgeous website or this gorgeous deliverable. It can be something as small as, um, you know, in your emails, making sure that your emails aren't 0.8 font so people can't read them. It's these things that normal, everyday people with with skill sets that may not be inclusive of you, you know, you may not perceive your skill set as quote unquote a user experience skill set. There are things that you can do to, you know, make lives easier and be Mm -hmm. inclusive of these, these different ways that other people interpret and learn information.
1: Yeah. We can talk about forums specifically, but going off from our previous episode about how we were making choices to be more cognizant and aware of how we're talking about different things um that right it's inclusive it's not like one plus one always makes two right it's a variety of ways to get to two i
0: my i'm married to a woman we are we are looking into fertility and that's and i think it's very interesting even going into just like the base layer of walking into the doctor's office like even before then like we have to we google is this place lgbtq friendly is this like you know place that has worked with people who have family structures like our family structure stuff like that and then even when you get into them it's instead of it being like um like patient like it'll be like mother and father or like stuff like that it's like it's very gendered or like you know depending upon what type of family building you're doing it can be like you know if you're doing um Like, (laughs) you're doing reciprocal IVF, which means that one person is carrying someone else's egg. So the person's egg is called the donor, even though, like, the person is that child's mother.
1: It's weird how that becomes, like, vague and not identified by any gender norms. Yeah. But yet your forms for your situation that they know, right, this is, you know... You are still stuck on forms that are mother and father, even though that's not. Yeah. Always, yeah. And the other thing is, like, this
0: podcast is coming from like, like, the D.C. area. Like, we live in a very progressive city in the nation, and I think that sometimes stuff like this even informs and I and it can translate to. I'm sure that there are a ton of other forms that people use as part of, you know, if they're applying for a loan or, it's, you know, it could be in any facet of whatever type of form you're filling out. It's definitely like, you know, head of household or like father of household or like.
1: Yeah, well we talk about with the girls that I coach, right, I refer to when I need a quote unquote parent for them, right, and I need that adult that's over 18. I've had to change my language because our borders have changed. We have a different demographic coming, like, I need a responsible adult for you. Because, right, I know some of them are being raised by extended family, grandparents, um, you know, name it, that, right, my inclusive language to them is, right, that responsible adult. Whoever, whatever that adult-specific relationship to them, great, but, right, I'm not going to go through a list of 20 options and then also miss somebody because I just haven't learned yet of that additional, you know, experience and perspective for that individual
0: yeah, and I think that it's definitely like being, and we probably we talked about this a little bit with our our storming, forming, and norming and performing, um, podcast that our team we we have a, div- a diverse team. Mm-hmm. If you look if you look at our team, our UX team for our core project is four people. Two of us are queer, two of us are women. We have a man of color, mm-hmm. and we're four people, and we check a lot of a, a lot of boxes, and I think that. That has made us a stronger design team. And I, and as a project, I think that our project is really strong because, you know, our PMs are great about embracing all these different identities. You know, on the larger project, we have uh, four vets on, yes. on the team, veterans. Um, we have a lot of different, di- um, more diversity as you include the, the larger pro- um, project team. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just something that's helped us really into to to Marie's point with the language like we've become a really inclusive team just you know with our daily stand-ups or kind of our conversations just um we've had to like mimic water cooler conversations and that has that has really made a positive impact on our team by embracing these
1: different identities so uh, leading a scrum master there's a lot of great ideas out there that was about like changing your background for your favorite food or whatever um and Pro props, not pro, props to those teams (laughs) who were awesome at finding that time to Google their favorite image of whatever and get it up on there. Um, (laughs) Leading the Scrum Master, I guess I could, like, dictate a little bit more. I'm not organized enough. Um, It is a circus in my house between uh, my mom lives with me of 72 and then my son is an elementary. So we're on polar opposites, and it is a miracle that we get going every morning. Um, so we came up with a song challenge, uh, which has been really cool and like so much easier for someone to just send me the song to start playing. And then we get to learn more about each other. Um, and then like Liz is saying, like I I know personally, I've taken the stuff that I learn about our team and changed how I speak. Um, yeah, so back to what you were saying earlier and I mentioned it the last time, right talking about, family and my experiences with joe that she wants to know about um not saying like you know mom and dad saying like parents or partners or like spouse like you know terms that are you know what we're talking about but they're not so specific to whatever because there's a variety of perspectives and lives that people have
0: yeah and i think um with how these small changes that we've made interpersonally within our team, how we translate that into some of the UX work we do. For instance, like we interview a lot of different people. Like, and sometimes we only know like their name and like maybe a job title, like a loose job title of like a kind of like, this is like their sphere of how they kind of connect to the project. And like, so we go into it trying to be, when we prepare for stuff, our questions are very,
1: like inclusive I feel like respect is like a huge thing for us because it's right whatever that question is however it's said we make sure to talk and ask right we ask our entire UX team plus we'll go and ask our PMs um we've asked other colleagues outside of our project like just to you know the more people's perspectives you can get and like vet your questions is better than like being in your little like focus group of like oh dang like we never saw that um Kind of like when the new Airbnb logo came out, like it's kind of questionable. Maybe they did bring it up, and like you know, maybe they are cool with it and they went for it. But right, we want to make sure we capture that stuff before we go out and have a conversation with a user, with a stakeholder, um, and avoid making them uncomfortable. I'm kind
0: of laughing at at uh, like laughing or smiling at Marie because um, my wife and I actually just did an Airbnb a couple weeks ago, <laughs> and she like and my my wife was a lawyer. She is not in this field at all and she even brought up the logo
1: being like this is kind of a weird logo it is but it makes it memorable too so like they could have been like oh yeah i see that but like how much more people like you know maybe they don't care that it like it's tied to that um thing but you know it's memorable like you'll know like oh that was airbnb like oh let's go do it again so from a marketing and branding standpoint if it fits your brand personality is and, like, you know, within what that company is comfortable with, it works for them. Oh, yeah. This is
0: um, maybe a little bit off the topic of UX, but, um, like, w- when we were kids, do you remember the commercial? It's for one of the um, – it wasn't for Subway. It was, what, it was for one of, like, the, um, like, sandwich places, and it was, like, those two, like, super creepy hamsters that oh. – like, In the, yeah, I like, disti- I like I know I'm blanking on the brand right now, but like I distinctly remember those like two little creepy hamsters, and I'm like, "What is this commercial?" But like literally like 20 years later, I'm, I'm still like,. Talking about the sandwich shop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, this is like, so yeah, they <laughs> a little a uh, little segue from inclusive design, but I, to your point of like, you know memorable design, there are definitely ways that you can achieve you know, interesting marketing tactics.
1: Yes. And how we want to be memorable, right, is being inclusive and not shocking. Ah, that is a great way to bring that back there, Marina. I was like, I
0: don't know how we're going to get back to UX Decide. So thanks for that. Um, But yeah, I think it's also been interesting. Um, We do a lot of 508. So Mm -hmm. for those that may be new to that concept, it is part of the um, Americans with Disabilities Act. Section 508 deals with... Basically, if you have, some, have a piece of information that um, per, uh, it has to be accessible by everyone, to, um, regardless of if they have a learning disability, if they have a visual disability, if they have a, like a hearing disability, any, anything like that, whatever piece of information that someone can have access to, everyone has to have access mm-hmm. to. And so that's definitely something that we also focus on with our design. Uh, I know I mentioned, like you know, don't make your emails .8 font. I mean that's, I think the standard is six
1: 16, sixteen on website. I don't know about email per se, but website body copy.
0: Yeah, which to some that might seem quite quite large, but on a website because that's becoming like a like you know a standardized standard, or especially across gover- uh, government government mm-hmm. websites. It's
1: now becoming a norm. Yeah, and talking about accessibility, I feel like, oh, we did that presentation, and I found that quote that like accessibility makes it better for all of us. Um, And I'm not so sure, like I've experienced that necessarily in digital because I don't use accessible technologies. Although I did try to use it one time on a walk with Layla. I was trying to use the screen reader because I couldn't find. I wanted to read something on an article and I couldn't, or a topic and I couldn't find a podcast I liked. So I found the article, but I can't read and walk. So I was trying to use a screen reader to do it. And it is frustrating. Um, it's probably the first time I've ever tried to use accessible technology. And I was so irritated. <laughs> um, and true, I bet there's like a huge learning curve of like, right? I, I couldn't intake that information as fast as I'm used to. Cause just like wading through and clicking through and just also remembering how I have to click it and then also trying to gain the information from the article, I gave up.
0: Yeah, and like, you know, and that's probably the case for so many people who rely on that technology. Like, you had a, a lug, like... It is you, a luxury of yeah. being able to do
1: stuff quicker. Yeah,
0: like you could mm-hmm. check out that, what you were reading. You know, you could read it at a later time or mm-hmm. something like that. And so it's just, um, like, the importance of these things, like, even sometimes you have to step outside of your own um, abilities and think about other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we really, really try to do just like one, like going back to your respect comment, like we try to be respectful of everyone, but then also, you know, it's, it's not that being inclusive of everyone doesn't take away from your inclusivity or like your level of effort it's just it should be built in Mm -hmm. from the get-go and I think that's something that we also try to do even from like step one with like our mock-ups like starting you know even if we're doing like by hand or you know like a low fidelity one we're still making sure that those mock-ups have the correct sizing or the correct color contrast and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so I think that's like one way that we've built it in so it's not an afterthought
1: yes yeah right it's definitely it's in in our mock-ups and going off to dev uh, with those considerations and documented in our design system for onboarding of new people um you know or we share our design system with other uh project teams yeah and i
0: think um two two examples i want to bring up of like so maybe you're not in the government field so by in the government field you have to be 508 compliant as it is law. So um I'll take a step back out um and come back to that, but if you're like let's say you're in the commercial field. Yeah. If people think that it don't need to be um accessible, I think domino got Yeah, and some <laughs> grocery stores. Yeah, like commercial outlets like and like big chains and small chains mm-hmm. uh, if you don't have some of that assistive technology that Maru is mentioning on the app or or your web Uh, your website people it's definitely something that's happening that is kind of changing the conversation from oh like the government has to do it but I don't have to do it Mm -hmm. whereas it's like it's becoming more of an inclusivity across all fields and um, that includes higher education higher education follows 508 standards because that's something that from the government like they're they're also mandated and that has been something that's very huge on, on um, higher ed websites. So-
1: yeah, and we've also talked about it because I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, like to make things accessible, right, they're not as cutting edge or innovative. And so that's why people find like gripes with accessibility. Um, right? Our team has found that just because we need to make it accessible to all, if we offer that option, we can also offer another option because we're covering both bases, right? Domino's got sued over the like, their little delivery thing of like watching their thing order from the beginning to the end and right you probably couldn't make something that cool um accessible i mean i couldn't even imagine trying to get like a tabbing order um or any of those things on it but if you if they just offered a button in the skip menu of a screen reader that was like i don't know the proper way but right for conceptualizing right it's like this is the accessible version of the interactive piece that you could see, right? And they can have a simplified version, but now you have, right? It's not that, like, we have to lower what we can offer and do, but it's we just, we need to bring people along with us um, with those other cool things.
0: Yeah, that that's such a great point with, um, like, you bring people, like, everyone comes along. It, it's yeah. not, you don't want to leave people behind just because it might be a little bit easier or, like, I, I really liked your description of cutting edge. That's, like, such yeah. a, a great way of phrasing it. Um, but also, um, to what Marie said, with within our research, we, our team has done a lot of extensive research on 508. We've had a lot of in-depth philosophical questions to understand. <laughs> exactly. So this is um, something that I think is like close to our hearts just from like how our team operates with respect. But then also, because we are in the government space, yeah. we have to like be on top of this. And so um, one way to do that, that we've found in particular if you're, for instance, if you're doing something with a user guide, for some user guides, um, for people who do not have um, like any visual limitations, you can have a user guide that has images and different um, things called out visually, but then to make sure that you're providing the same information to someone that may not have those same, um, like the same vision as you, you can provide something that's a much more streamlined document that provides the exact same information but doesn't – it's no extra effort to really Mm -hmm. make something have this dual document because you just – it's very easy to streamline something.
1: Right, usually, like, right, what we did for, you know, not considering 508, it's very easy to streamline and make it 508 compliant and make it accessible and inclusive to everybody. Yeah, and then – I know that we started out talking a little bit
0: about the um, like being in the government work and a government field, and then we shifted to a little bit more um, commercial. Yeah. Coming back to government, we've also um, recently been learning more about the IDEA Act, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and this is a law that makes it available, um, to, basically to make sure that in plain language that your website or your government website has to be accessible just like we're saying mm-hmm. so in addition to the section 508 laws that have been previously passed at a much earlier date the idea act is a much more up um, updated act that's that it passed in the last couple of years
1: very recently i think it was 2018 oh i feel like i should know this i just had it up like two days, well, not two days ago. That would have been last week, two days ago. <laughs> it's a blurring quarantine sometimes.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I think you
1: are... There's an 8 in the end. I just don't know if it's 08 or 18. It's
0: 18. I think okay. it's um, between 20... I'm, I'm on Google. Uh, t- um, and I think I also read the, the wrong acronym previously. It's actually the Integrated Digital Experience Act. So I... I apologize. My quick Google—I should have <laughs> scrolled down a little bit further. Um, but yeah, it was enacted between t- 2017 and 2018. So I think in 2018, it actually. Oh, yeah, you—you're right there. I told you there was an eight. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that the ADA was in the 90s with with Section 508, and and I know it started even before that um, in the 70s with 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 different um, accessibility acts being passed but then something to come so so much more recent has been a lot more inclusive of the different technologies that have come about since the 70s and 90s and those different um, changes even between from when the first um, ada passed to the version it is now so i know that we've made it a point to keep up with those different Mm -hmm. acts and make sure that you know if for any reason that we run into any, not necessarily from a project perspective, but just in, um, you know, being in a digital space, yeah. if we run into anything, we do have
1: like these laws. Yeah. And I think they're great. I know we've learned a lot um, just about, right? Like even how like ADHD, and I really hate bringing it up that it's ADHD because I don't that, right that's like a whole parenting thing with having a kid and i agree that like add and adhd exist and stuff but i think it it hinders children telling them that they have a disability rather than right like you just have a challenge to overcome uh, but anyways people with like attention deficit disorder like that white space that right design is always talked about like white space is needed in a design it makes it better and stuff and then sometimes you get into collaborations with other folks and they wanna put everything up in one space, but right, it's not useful for even folks without attention deficiencies, right? Um, having too much at one spot is hard to focus on for anyone. Um, you know, it's so that whole concept, like when you're multitasking, you're really not, I don't know what the phrase is, I was gonna say you're really not tasking. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a great phrase, but it doesn't make sense. Um, I, I followed you. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> Like you're really not doing a good job when you're multitasking, um, right? I multitask all the time um, but I do know when I need to stop and focus so it's the same thing on an application design or a website design right that like 700 pixels of height on a desktop can't do everything at once there has to be some kind of priority some kind of direction of usability for users uh, to get through it you know
0: yeah and I think um, even if here's like a good real world example that I know I know I run into a lot. Sometimes I don't have my headphones on. Yeah. So then I, when I watch videos on my phone, you know, if I'm just like scrolling on something or I really like that uh, Instagram. I So I have Instagram, but I don't have a TikTok, but I like that people post TikToks yeah. on Instagram. Uh, I watch a lot of dog videos that I like, think are funny when puppies are acting out. Um, but sometimes if I don't have my headphones to listen, I don't want to like, ask my wife that and like when yeah. she's sleeping or something so I like that they have the closed captions on there because yeah it makes a huge difference and even if you're uh, like well mul- like something about multitasking or like you're sometimes it's just easier to have the captions on there even if you're listening or mm-hmm. like if you're unable to like, let's say you're in an airport when a cat, I mean, I don't know how many people are traveling currently, but, you know, say you're in, like, a busy... Those things we used to do. Yes, exactly. Free, <laughs> Um, you know, some like, if you just, like, happen to forget your earbuds or your whatever, you know, these are, like, real-world applications that wouldn't exist without the emphasis on accessibility.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and inclusion. Yes. Um, yeah, we're a big household of closed captioning on our TV now, um... We were talking earlier, sometimes, I don't know if anyone else has this problem, but like, the background music in movies is sometimes louder than the voice tracks, so I can't capture what's going on, and then you get into movies with accents, and I'm like, so we're a big family of of closed captions. Um, It has also helped Joe learn reading really well, um, because he's reading along and hearing it, which is partly how they learn in school anyways. Um, so it's just a lot of practice of that. So, I mean, inclusive design, great parenting hack. Um, ah, that's like so. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true with the uh, the, the, the the. The sound bat-y. in the movies. Yeah, yeah.
0: I was uh, a couple of weekends yeah. ago. I watched Midway, which is like um, it's like a, a, a it's about the Midway battle, but they also go into okay. Pearl Harbor. Like it's about after it. They do a Pearl Harbor scene, but then it's really about some of the next upcoming battles. But the sound mixing in that was, like, the talking to me be, like, hi, how are you? And then it would be, like, this, you, oh. yeah, and Aaron, so I live in um, a one-bedroom, and, you know, both of us are working from home, and Aaron was working on the weekend, and, like, we have a door between us, but, like, we live in a one-bedroom apartment, <laughs> and I would have to, like, make sure I had my hand on the remote to, like, shut down the volume and I was like trying to equalize it and then I think I just like wound up putting on closed captions and then
1: turning the volume super low because I was like that's like it's so loud so yeah you're totally right and so your experience was frustrating except for that inclusive closed captioning it's just so important and so useful in every day yeah,
0: and I think that, um,
1: I realize I just say that phrase a lot now that I'm, like, talking,
0: I'm like, oh my god, I was like, what's I said that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And, you know, these aren't changes that take away from anyone else's experience. You know, it's being inclusive doesn't mean that it's a less of an experience for someone else. Mm-hmm. It just means that it's more of an experience for everyone else. This was Mocket. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, share with your friends, and join us next time. As always, if you're interested in learning more about how government and tech collide, visit Metrostar.com.